I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, Don't you dare be sour. Clap for your world. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-pack radio, your most comprehensive podcast covering Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling news, and the home of the beta-ranked college football advanced statistical model and the home of the original Pac-12 elimination tournament. This is Brian Conger. Thank you so much for joining us. And woo! A real fun, the trappiest of trap weeks last week, and uh, and Max. But I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna open up right now. Hold on, Max, bear with me here because I think you deserve some some definite credit here. Seven and one, Max, against the spread. Eight and one in real life against the spread. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Um, and then there were some, and then there were some other like, uh, picks that I made that weren't, uh, on the podcast that, uh, weren't full game. Like Air Force first half was one of my favorite bets last week. Um, oh, there was, there was another, oh, the, um, the Michigan State, Arizona State under, like that, that never even came close to that, to that total. Uh, even though I think it closed at like 42, but yeah, no, last week there were definitely a lot of, uh, landmines, but I'm glad I sniffed them all out and was on the right side of pretty much all of them. There is a reason Max writes for sports illustrated gambling and it's for identifying those potholes. Well done. Um, if, if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much. We're really excited that you're listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 12 pack radio. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on iTunes, Apple podcasts, Spotify, you name it. We are there. Um, we're going to go into basically previewing week four, but before we do that, we're going to talk about week three and kind of mix everything together. And, uh, and just a re- really interesting week it's going to be a shorter show because we finally have fewer games. And to break them down along uh, with Max is Mr. Rob Bowen, the creator of the Beta Rank College of Football Advanced Statistical Model. Woo, it's been been a long week, Rob. I've been up late. <laughs> How are you? I, I've also been up late, and it's I'm doing really well. I'm excited. This is the uh, this is the week that FCS games get dropped out of the model um, because FCS games are crap. Um, so that's good. I'm excited for that. Um, so we've got most most teams at this point uh, with a handful of outliers have at least. Uh, two games, two games in the data against actual FBS competition, and uh, it re- the model reflects it this week. Like I, I feel like for the most part, with the, with the, with a few outliers, like you know the teams are heading in the direction they'll probably end up. I should mention we're recording live from the Vivid Seats Studio. If you download their app and use the promo code Overtime, you can get $100 off your first order for uh, tickets. So if you want to go to an Oregon game, you want to go to a Washington game, uh, you know. Get that discounts for first time customers only. Check it out. And I think the biggest storyline, let's talk general impressions here and then we'll get into some of the other games, was uh, the fact that there were some some real interesting lines that Vegas was dangling. And they opened the door of their casino. They're like, hey, come on in. Come on in. $2 buffet. 
You know you want it. There's a reason they do those things. There's a reason they dangle those those short lines at you because they know something that you don't. And again, Max, you would cover those. You know, USC goes into BYU as a four and a half point favorite, uh, loses. Arizona opens as a four point underdog at home against T, uh, against Texas Tech. They end up winning, and uh, Air Force goes into Colorado as a three point dog. Ends up winning that game. Um, Max, you had you had highlighted some of these things, but what were like, I, I think it's really important to highlight the spots, you know, like when somebody comes off of a buy, when something isn't looking quite right, when somebody's inflated and somebody isn't, what was the biggest indicator for you on some of these things? And do you see any of that, by the way, coming into this coming week? Sure. So Colorado Air Force, I went really in depth in um, just because I was really interested to see um, Colorado's run defense, because in terms of yards per carry, uh, they're not terrible. But the thing is, sacks count for negative rushing yardage in college football and Colorado had a top 10 sack rate heading into the air force game. And so if you took away the sack yardage from the uh, rush, from the carries and from the rushing total, Colorado's run defense was abysmal. And just looking at um, like uh, um, stuff rate and, and, and other metrics like that, like it was clear that Colorado could not, um, or just what wasn't getting like stops, uh, sh- like at the line of scrimmage behind the line of scrimmage, or even like getting like one or two yard gains. And I thought that air force would just run them <laughs> would just, you know, take advantage with the triple option and Colorado only had a week to prepare for that, which is tricky. Air force had the buy. And so they had extra prep time for Colorado and it just, it, it was not a good spot for the Buffaloes at all, but I'll give them credit. I mean, the second half buffs, they, they're a beast. <laughs> I, I don't know what Mel Tucker is telling these guys at halftime, but Colorado has looked like a completely different team in the second half of these three games. Uh, and actually, that was honestly part of the reason why I made it Air Force first half versus Air Force full game was I was a little nervous um, about Colorado if they were down in the first half, just um, letting loose with the aerial attack with Steve Montez and LaVish Christian all against I think uh, like not as terrible as it would be last year for Air Force's secondary, just because they had a lot of injuries, but still a pretty bad one. And sure enough, that's what happened. And then turnover luck also played a part uh, because Air Force actually should have won that game handily, just looking at the yard per play differential. But Air Force had three turnovers, including uh, an interception in the end zone. And, and, uh, and I think that was right before the half. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't think that Colorado was as good as their 2-0 record, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what reared its ugly head uh, against Air Force. Any games that are creeping out, and we'll go through all the spreads, by the way, and break down everything um, as we as the show continues. But anything that stands out for you immediately in terms of some possible trap games in this coming week? Uh, I didn't see any trap games. Probably the most interesting line is Oregon-Stanford. Um, that opened, I think at 10 and it's down to nine and a half. Mm. And that's the side that I would lean toward for, uh, I'd lean Stanford in this one, even though <laughs> it, it's, it's been pretty rough. I mean, I, if it wasn't for that Northwestern, uh, fumble to end the game in week one, Stanford would be zero three against the spread this year. But I just, a, a couple of reasons why, and, and we can definitely get into that later, but that line st- stood out. Um, USC, Utah, I mean, that's going to be an overreaction line. And, um, I personally thought it would be two and a half and Circa opened it at one and or two and a half, uh, Utah minus two and a half as a road favorite Circa opened it at one and a half. 
quickly jumped up to three and now it's at three and a half. So I, I, I kind of have to look at the Trojans there. Um, and then let me, Oh, uh, and then my two, or I think my two least favorite teams, this, uh, this Pac-12 season in terms of teams that I think have gotten lucky with their starts, uh, Colorado and Arizona state. Uh, I think Arizona state opened up as a 10 point favorite and it's down to seven and a half. And I agree. Well, I thought 10 was too high and I, or actually it opened at nine, opened at nine, now down to seven and a half. And I still think that 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 line is too high, even though I'm not a big believer in Colorado, but that Arizona state box score against Michigan state that, that does not resemble a team that that should have won that game. So just a couple that stood out to me. Yeah. We'll definitely take a look at that game. Rob, when you, when you're looking back at week three, what were some games that stood out? What was the most, the, the things that were most important to you in regards to the conference? I think what's, I mean, I think Washington bounced back pretty well against, uh, you know, and, and took it out pretty hard on Hawaii, <laughs> which we were expecting, right. Um, that to go over, uh, I thought Washington State, I mean, going on the road and getting a really nice win um, versus a pretty decent Houston club like that, that bodes well for them. Um, their their defense, Bryant, to, 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 to let you know, is up to 45. Yeah, that's right. That, that's a big improvement off of last year. Um, meanwhile, their offense, while not quite Gardner Minshew-esque, is, is hanging around up at 16. So um, the Cougars are suddenly looking like a very, very dangerous team this year. And I, I don't know that I was quite expecting that. We'll see if that whole – I mean, all of this, of course, is with a the caveat of, like, small sample size. Like, we haven't – we don't have a lot of games yet to, to look at. Um, and, I, I mean, mostly I thought it was interesting, though, that, like, you know, teams found a way to win. You know, like, uh, that, that Arizona State game was just brutally ugly in almost all the ways and, and Arizona state and you know, like had really no business winning that game, but um, yeah, they, they found a way to pull it off. Arizona comes back and gets their season sort of back on track. I think by beating Texas tech, that was kind of nice and unexpected, but uh, it really stood out to me how bad Stanford got waxed uh, um, even with Costello back. I mean, I, I, uh, I think I ended up switching it to Stanford through, stupidity on my part because <laughs> I had picked UCF early, but UCF just opened it up on them. Uh, and that, that I think is, could be trouble this week. Cause uh, like people, I think we're, we're, what we've seen from that Auburn defense so far is they're very, very good. And, and that might, that might tell us something about Oregon. Yeah. And, you know, talking about Washington state, Jihad Woods is a bad Bad man. He was all over that field. I really enjoyed watching him play defense. He kind of reminded me of uh, Bell, the guy that was playing linebacker for Texas Tech, who was just basically in every possible play um, disrupting. Yeah, he was fine a little bit, yeah. yeah it was, uh, he did an excellent job. The rest of the defense, not so much, but that linebacker was pretty interesting. I think the other thing, too, is Anthony Gordon. He he made he's not Gardner Minshew, but he's probably like seventy percent of Gardner Minshew with a few more bad decisions in there. So I'm yeah. gonna flag that because he had thrown I think he threw two interceptions or he threw one interception and, and one that should have been picked off, but and they were just really bad reads. So I'm curious to see how he plays uh, and whether or not he gets more comfortable in terms of his decision making. But he is certainly accurate. He can run that Washington State offense, and that's a really good sign if you're a Cougar fan. One of the things. Too, too, with the Arizona schools, I think both of them, 
it was long drives at the end of the game, right? ASU ended up winning that game against a nasty, nasty Michigan State defense by going 11 plays and 75 yards. And we'll definitely talk about the, the 12 men on the field. Uh, Max, I'm sure you have some coaching comments uh, when it comes to that. But, uh, <laughs> but but really, that was so impressive. 11 plays, 75 yards to get the you know Benjamin in the in the end zone. And then Arizona driving 99 yards, just wearing down Texas Tech at the end of that game, basically running it in their face over and over and over again they did not uh, accomplish a pass they didn't even attempt to pass at the end of that game and really were able to to take that victory and and seal it and that was pretty impressive for frankly a team that has had rob and i'm sure you can speak to this had some issues on the offensive line maybe not as uh, as pronounced as some people would think when it comes to an arizona team but like that 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 took a lot of balls for that offensive line to have the uh i guess to be able to continue pushing and pushing and pushing against just a gas defense yeah, and they struggled all game uh, up to that point against that tight front. That uh, a lot of big, I mean, a lot of Big Twelves have moved to the uh, teams have moved to the tight front, and um, Arizona struggled with it. They, uh, it's designed to clamp down on uh, the dive play or an inside zone that a lot of uh, spread teams run, and it it does its job. I mean, you sacrifice a little bit on your pass rush with that, but um, they were, you know, Texas Tech was really plugging the inside gaps and. You know, Arizona just it it they finally just kind of flexed out, and that's I mean I, I think you know on, you know if you watch the game and you stayed up late, kudos like but uh, I think it was tied like for the longest drive in college football history. I mean they drove from you know part of the ball practically touching the goal line <laughs> all the way down. Max, you want to any brief comments about USC's loss to BYU? It's certainly a lot that went on in that game, but any general takeaways? I mean, Slovis really wasn't Slovis that we saw against Stanford, but aside from that, anything else that stood out? I mean, it, it, it was just, you know, same old USC. Um, just like we, uh, we were saying that, like, we felt that the line was too short, but I said that, like, this, this is like a Clay Helton type of game where, where they lose, and, and that's why, and I said it's like, out of all the lessons I've learned as a gambler over the years, I have to take BYU in this game. And just a couple alarming things. Uh, USC's offensive line, uh, BYU was dropping like eight for a lot of the game because they uh, that they, they want to limit the explosive uh, plays. And BYU was sending three rushers, and they were getting pressure. And USC's offensive line, um, that's been the big bugaboo over uh, the past couple seasons. And now if, if they're giving up pressure from a three-man rush against BYU, how are, how are they going to handle Utah's uh, defensive line? And then the secondary, which is young, young and inexperienced, I mean, Zach Wilson tore them up. Uh, that, was, that was some performance. But it's just USC on third downs. It's like Clancy, the Clancy Pendergast special of giving up third and longs consistently. Uh, so th- those two things were probably the most alarming. But and I know Slovis had all the interceptions, but it was it was his first road game, and it, and it was against a good defense, a defense much better than Stanford. So I'm actually like I, I wasn't that dismayed by his performance overall. It, it was it was the defense and the offensive line and, and the coaching that um, had had me most worried. Okay, and also we have the Pac-12 eliminator pool, and even though everybody picked Oregon State. Some people did not get their picks in on time. And this is in memory of the fallen. Doc Dwyer, the black black and gold Josh, and the real Demps. May you remember next time to get your picks on time. You will be missed. You are remembered. 
So we have 34 entries left. So make sure to get those picks in sharpcollegefootball.com. Thanks for everybody that's been sending them in. And all of our hosts have survived. Basically, everybody else survived except for those three. And with that said, we are going to get into our picks and review week three and preview week four right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, we are back. We're going to go through all the Pac-12 games coming up. Pretty excited right now because we'll be able to tighten up the show since there's fewer non-conference games and really go into detail on some of these conference matchups. And again, as we get more data um, from these games that are played, we'll be able to to do some pretty fun stuff in terms of comparing each unit and, and each squad and all that stuff. So let's start right now. Uh, Friday, September 20th, Utah is a three and a half point favorite at USC. Rob, you had just heard Max talk about USC's rough offensive line and kind of go into a little bit in more detail and uh, in what he thinks in terms of how USC is going to perform in the future. looks like Max was leaning actually USC and thinks that Utah might be a little bit inflated. I'm, I'm curious to see what you think and what your numbers say. So beta rank right now has actually dropped Utah. I mean, it's dropped USC from where they started out the season. It's dropped Utah too. Uh, Utah comes in this week at number 43. Um, and I have some Utah fans that are not happy with me about that. Uh, but it's mostly because uh, the model has, has decided that BYU is not very good. Uh, and it's decided that NIU is also not very good, but that other teams have played better against them than the, than the, the Utes have up to this point, particularly Nebraska just laid waste to NIU um, this last weekend. So the Utes are there. The, the It's got the model has USC as a three point favorite in this game. Hmm. Um, USC is still getting a fairly significant bump from their taking apart of Stanford um, because the model likes UCF at this point. So it's sort of doing that comparison of like, oh, you know, USC also took Stanford apart. Like maybe USC is, is, is actually somewhat decent. I think USC is getting a little bit of a, hey, KJ Costello wasn't playing in that particular game <laughs> um, factor in there. So I I, I tend to lean right now. Like I, I still like Utah. I don't, I don't think they've shown it yet. I guess I'm sort of counting on them to show it, but um, I don't like this UC USC. Like if it, if it comes down to it and I'm sort of looking across the matchups, like the matchup that stands out to me is uh, that Utah defensive line against that USC offensive line. I just think that's the, the strength like the absolute strength of one team against the biggest. I mean, Max was just talking about it, the, the very biggest weakness for another team. Um, that said, like we are really going to find out a lot about this Utah offense because they have they have they, they should they should come into this game with a little something to prove, because I, I think we did expect them to be a little better. They grade out at number 47 right now. They're 23 running the ball, which is good. And you expect that they're only 69 throwing the ball. USC. Just curious, uh, what are, what are the, what is their explosiveness? Oh yeah, so this is it's the Andy Ludwig special. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so Utah right now they are uh, they're 121 in drive efficiency and 59 in explosiveness. So they're going to get like a, a standard Ludwig offense is actually a little more explosive than that, but uh, it's definitely matching up in that wide split between efficiency and, and explosiveness. Hey, I had a quick question about that. You know, you'd mentioned the strength on weakness, and we definitely can dive into that. Uh, one of the other questions I had, and this comes from one of our listeners, because we had asked, and, and by the way, after every week, if there's a player on your team you want us to talk a little bit more about, please do. We're happy to do so. Um, one of the questions we got was on Tyler Huntley, and Tyler Huntley has some pretty good numbers, but... Again, it's not against great competition. When he was playing against BYU, he was fine. Um, I, I'm i always of the opinion that Utah needs to be able to throw the ball to make that next step. And Huntley certainly has been fine at that. Um, and USC, Max, has just a, a secondary that I don't quite trust. But I'm not certain if Tyler Huntley is the player that's going to rip apart a young but talented, hopefully, <laughs> on paper secondary at USC. What do you think about that matchup? Well, I mean, the apex of, of Utah's offense was last season when they scored over 40 points in four straight October games against Pac-12 competition. That was with a healthy Tyler Huntley, a, a healthy Zach Moss. And then obviously those two went down with season-ending injuries. But it just it feels like that the offense is still kind of adjusting uh, to Ludwig being offensive coordinator. Um, but I just, I don't know, because I mean, Jorge Reyna in his first start uh, in week one uh, against Fresno, like he did well against USC secondary. Uh, Davis Mills wasn't like great, but he also wasn't bad. It was just kind of, it was Stanford defense just really could not stop USC, but I, I don't really fault the offense as much. I mean, after all, they, they did get up 17 to three. Uh, to start, even though USC did fumble a kickoff return, but that, that drive actually ended in a field goal. Um, and then last week that, or this past weekend, Zach Wilson just tore USC secondary part two. Um, so, and, and I'm nervous that, I mean, USC's defense missed a lot of tackles and Zach Moss, I feel like breaks more tackles than anyone in the country. And I, I think that he, he's kind of a nightmare of a matchup. But I don't know really how much I trust this Utah offensive line. And USC's defensive line is really, really strong. It's just really it's, – it's, it's the back end of that defense that, that's been a glaring weakness. And it's talented, but it's inexperienced. So I think that, that – I mean, I think Huntley's going to have a nice game. Uh, I don't really – I don't think that this will be a low-scoring game. Um, let me just look up the total quickly just because I'm interested to see it. Like I'd probably have it in the low fifties, like maybe like 51 and a half sounds right to me, but let me look it up quickly. Uh, Oh, what? 55. Okay. So a little higher than I would have thought. Um, but I, I think also one other thing that, I mean, I, I, I like to, uh, obviously I, I cap with it in mind is special teams and Utah's special teams. Normally they're elite. And Rob, I'm interested to see what beta rank has them ranked, but I, I just think that Utah's special teams have been a massive drop off this season. And it really showed in the BYU game. Um, and I think that that's interesting just because USC special teams are usually a disaster too. Um, but, and, and, and like uh, with the uh, kickoff uh, coverage and punt coverage and, and stuff like that, it's usually not fun, but Chase McGrath actually hit a huge field goal in Provo to uh, send or to send that game into overtime. Um, I, I feel like I trust him more than, than Utah's kicking game situation. 
So just uh, a couple angles there. Yeah, Utah special teams have not – they're grading out at number 49 right now, which is, which is low for them. Um, you know, and I always try to tell people, like, because people tend to focus in on, like, special teams are more than just specialists. <laughs> it's punt returns and blocking, too. Um, but, yeah, Utah's, Utah's not grading out uh, where they usually would. And, I mean, the defense isn't grading out where they usually are either. They're at 41. So, I, they've they've got this is an opportunity for them like to to really show out I think and in, in, in ways that they did like in all the you know running through some of those you know middle of the middle of the season Pac-12 games last year. Um, and then just so Rob, you were you were saying that Utah's defense not it hasn't been graded as highly as expected, and I think it's interesting that they allowed 5.4 yards per play against Northern Illinois. Uh, they allowed 5.5 yards per play against BYU, and that's interesting just because BYU's offense, similar um, yards per play uh, totals against Tennessee and USC. Um, I just think that the losses of Chase uh, Hansen and Cody Barton as their linebacking tandem, like that's a really tough duo to replace, and maybe that's the reason why uh, Utah's defense hasn't come out like we like we thought they would. And then Utah's secondary like they're they're talented but i don't i just feel like usc's receivers still have the edge like it's gonna have to come down to utah's defensive line in this one um for me and they do have a big advantage there so it could very well happen well the you're right i mean when we look at the the defense right now for utah they're great at number 35 against the run and i and i think the linebackers you know when you have foe two and an a there to clean up in front of you that helps and you just have to remember your gap assignments and get it done but utah is grading out at 61 against the pass and and a lot of some of that is that that first half that they really had against byu where they were they were bad against byu's passing attack um, and they gave up a lot of quick passes. They weren't tightening up in coverage enough. I mean, Kyle Whittingham was berating his defensive line for not getting their hands up. USC's, USC's number nine throwing. I mean, they, they actually have a split. They're not quite like Washington State air raid split, but um, they're rating at a number nine throwing the ball around right now. So this, uh, if if they trust Slovis again in, in this game, then you know they, they'll they should have a bit of an advantage on the outside because Utah's. You know, it's the typical question like, yeah, yeah, your your top two corners are good. But what happens when we get down to three, four, you know, I mean, what what what, what do you look like then? Yeah, I do. Quick question on how the line would have been different. Right. So I, I hear everything you were saying, Max. I, but just at the end of the day, USC against BYU, if Slovis throws one t- one interception rather than three of them or even possibly two of them, USC likely wins that game and we go away thinking all right like usc you know they, they had a tough tough game against byu we knew it was going to be tough they were on the road and that stuff if usc wins and they come into this game what what's the line right because they're they're would they probably be the pick them no, i think usc would be a slight favorite if they were coming to this game undefeated like like one one and yeah. a half yeah okay, okay. um well, i mean vegas is i mean i i took all that crap from uh utah fans but Vegas doesn't disagree. I mean, I think USC is maybe a little overrated in the model right now. The model is still 66% per, you know, projections. It's a lot of USC's projections based on recruiting, but you know, like Vegas is Vegas has moved Utah down a little bit too um, coming into this game. Okay. And it's at yeah, home. I mean, yeah. You, you, yeah. You, Utah only opened as a one and a half point road favorite. It, it's more yeah. the betting public that has, has really 
driven Utah up. And, and honestly, I had this game under a field goal for Utah as well. I, I only had it. At, I only had it two and a half. So no, I think it's just more public perception versus what, what's actually going on, but no kudos to the bookmakers. Like they spotted it or I shouldn't say spotted, but they, they, they show, they showcased that with the Colorado air force line last week. And it's like a similar deal with USC Utah this week. Oh, all right, Max, three and a half points right now. Utah's favor. Who are you taking? For now, who? So, by the way, like the, again, the line's going to move, and we'll make sure to send out our projections on Friday as the lines move. But like you know, knee jerk reaction right now with three and a half. Uh, I'm I'm taking USC at three or higher, but my favorite play for this game would be USC first half, um, just because Whitt- Kyle Whittingham is obviously the much better coach. I trust his halftime adjustments. I don't trust Clay Helton's game management at the end of game, um, and then also I just kind of see it like. If USC comes out with a fast start, I, I do think Utah can come back. Whereas if Utah gets off to a fast start in the first half, I, I um, with that with Utah's defensive line knowingly going up against passes and, and having that pass rush against USC's offensive line, I don't think USC's comeback potential is really there. So, I my thinking is basically like I, I think USC is the right side here at that number, but. If, but, but, and then so basically, like I, I think that they'll be able to keep it close in the first half as well. But if Utah covers in the first half, I don't think that USC would be able to cover full game. So basically, I'm, I'm, um, you know, like nodding my nodding my rope on the first half, thinking it'll be same result regardless in this one. Hey Rob, before I make my pick, what's USC's run defense again? Was Bader and Kevin? Uh, their rush defense is 49, pass defense is 74. Oh, uh, man. All right, I'm going to take Utah, I, like, and I don't like it. I will not bet this game at all, by the way. I will like, just watch it because uh, I think that line, that's a good line. I think they, they planted it right where they are. I'll take Utah. Um, that hook bothers me, the three and a half, but uh, we'll see what happens. What do you got? I'm, I'm going to take the Utes. I mean, I, I, I guess in my head when I think about this, like if it, if you played it straight up, I think it's close. I think Whittingham probably like reverts to form and plays this game to to minimize possessions and, and, and keeps the game a little bit close. But I also think that Utah probably ends up at least plus one or plus two on turnovers. And I think that gets them over. OK. All right. Let's move on. Saturday, September 21st. Washington is a seven and a half point favorite at BYU. Um, Washington just came off stomping Hawaii, which we kind of assumed happened. I think one of the interesting things, though, is they did they did allow Hawaii to score 20 straight points. Now, granted, this was later in the game. Um Washington just came out with their hair on fire. They scored 21 straight points, like back to back to back. Um, really just put the game out of hand very, very quickly. Um, Jacob Eason, 18 for 25, three touchdowns. Savon Ahmed, uh, eight of 83, averaged about 10 yards a carry. Hunter Bryant, by the way, kind of emerging, which is great. A real fun story. I like him as a tight end. Uh, five catches, 115 yards and a touchdown. Miles Bryant had two interceptions. I, I just think a lot of good news for Washington, except for allowing Hawaii to kind of creep back in. Again, the game was out of hand, but you really do want to see a team uh, that had the pedigree of Washington and that defense. Uh, I know it's young. I know they're still putting things together, but um, I, I, I am still putting a flag there, too, on on Washington's defense. How good can they be? And this is kind of one of another um, two games in a row where not not huge concerns like they again, they held Cal to under 20 points, but um, I'm just not as press as impressed as I had assumed I would be. Um, Rob, what do your numbers have in regards to these two different teams? 
So uh, Baderank has this as Washington comes in at number 23. Um, BYU comes in at number 94. Um, Washington's having a pretty decent offensive year um, so far <laughs> in, in small sample. Um, you know, that Cal game was really tough, but they really put uh, a lick on Hawaii. Um, they're pretty balanced. 25 rushing the ball, 20 throwing it. Um, their defense, however, kind of struggling along, replacing all those guys. They're at number 53, uh, 65 against the run, 46 against the pass. But BYU, um, really not not a great rating on offense. They're at 116, 114 running the ball, a little bit better, 84 throwing it. The defense is at number 76, uh, and they're 93 against the rush and 63 against the pass. So I, I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people are giving – I would say Vegas is giving BYU a bit of um, a bump off off of, you know, sort of going in and beating Tennessee and then beating USC at home. Um, the, the model, however, absolutely hates where Tennessee is at right now. They're the worst ranked SEC team. They're at number 71. Almost all of that is based off of uh, the preseason projection. If it was just in-season data, I checked Tennessee would be Tennessee like in the is 120s. ranked worse than Arkansas? Oh, yeah. Tennessee's terrible. I mean, like they lost to Georgia State. <laughs> was it Georgia State or Georgia South? I mean, they lost to like um, they lost to not Georgia, <laughs> like one of the not Georgia. They lost to not Georgia at home, and then not Georgia then went out and played other people and got exposed as being not very good. Uh, so, right. Um, the model, the model is basically like, yeah, sure, BYU, you're about as good as you're, you know, about as good as Tennessee. Um, so they're they're. The, the the model and Max and I were chatting. We were chatting a little bit before this. Max disagrees. He's a little bit more on BYU on this, but the model's got this as a seventeen point Washington favorite. Ooh, um, my. I on the road uh, too. I I actually I, I I don't know the Washington gets to seventeen. I think Washington wins by at least ten. Uh, what do you think, Max? Mm. No, I mean. Well, here's the dangerous thing about this game, and, and I feel like it was like a similar deal with Hawaii last week. BYU is going to be a public dog in this game, and usually public dogs do not fare that well. Um, and just, I mean, like people are going to say, oh, look, BYU, they won at Tennessee, they beat USC. So I'm definitely concerned about that, but I just, I, I can't erase that Washington Cal game out of my head. And BYU uh, does a really good job limiting explosive plays. And, and Eaton was able to torch Eastern Washington and Hawaii, but against the Cal defense that also put the clamps down, Washington's offense just wasn't as effective. Um, Washington's offensive line hasn't been that great this year. And the defense has taken a step back. I mean, yeah, Miles Bryant was sensational uh, last game against Hawaii. But those uh, and and this was my logic for taking Washington against Hawaii last week. But Hawaii runs like uh, like a, a very pass heavy offense, not quite like uh, Mike Leach's air raid. But those are like the types of offenses that wa- um, Washington's defense thrives against, just because they know the pass is coming, and and they, and they are really good at stopping it. Um, I was concerned, like what Bryant was saying, that Hawaii kind of got back in in the game, like Washington, I think was up 35 to nothing or 38 to nothing. And then Hawaii scored 20 like straight points. And then I was like, wow, the cover's actually in jeopardy. And then, and then Washington pulled away at the end. Yeah. So I, I guess the big difference between defending USC's past game versus Washington's is that I, um, Hunter Bryan is amazing. Like he was the only tight end uh, in the country 
to have over 100 yards last week. Uh, USC, they actually they did feature the tight end slightly, but they, they don't they don't have a game breaker uh, like Washington does in Bryant. Uh, and, and they do have a pretty solid receiving courts with uh, Aaron, with Fuller and McClatcher. Like it's and uh, oh, Andy B or Andre B, whatever his last name is. I, I can never pronounce it. So it's pretty solid. But I like how BYU limits explosive plays. I'm not really sold on Washington's um, rushing offense. I, I just feel like Ahmed hasn't taken the step that many people thought um, yeah. after he had such strong numbers and limited work behind miles Gaskin. And, and then, like I was saying, like the, the offensive line hasn't I, I, with all the experience returning, I don't think that it's played up to par. Um, and then I, I, I like Zach Wilson. I trust him. Um, I still think Washington's defense is gelling and I just think seven points or wherever. I, I think I last thought at six and a half, but if it's, if it's at seven and a half, I know that's too high. I think, I think anything, I think seven or seven or higher, I, I think BYU is the side here. And do not judge Washington's offense just on that Cal game. That Cal no, game. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, Cal, no, I mean I wa- Cal is Cal's number 10 in the country on defense right now in beta rank. They're number three against the pass. I mean, that the BYU's defense is nothing, nowhere near that. Um, I, I mean, I, like, I hear, like, I, I think, and I, I do think that it is, and this will be an this will be an interesting game that the model is going to learn something you know a lot about and because BYU's played so many different teams all across the country it's going to learn quite a bit about but um, yeah I, I I think that I, I think this is going to be an interesting one I I think Washington's weapons are going to be more available than they certainly were in that Cal game I just basically view BYU as like a middle compared to Cal versus Eastern Washington and Hawaii yeah that's fair that's somewhat fair yeah. I, I think I'm going to take BYU because I'm getting that hook. Like seven, seven and a hook. Uh, that's that's a lot to expect from Washington on the road at a, at a, a, a really loud place. And BYU has traditionally played really well there. I think Washington wins this game. I just, uh, if you're going to give me more than a touchdown, I'll take it. I'm curious to see what that line drops to because if it drops, like you'd mentioned, Max, it's already dropped a point. If it gets down to like four, ooh, I might be taking a look at Washington there and kind of seeing what they have. But um, we'll see which way that that goes. Any last words on Washington BYU? Yeah, this is Washington's first road game of the season, which I also think could could play a factor. Got some altitude there, too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that. That'll be a fun game to watch. Uh, Let's move on. Oregon. I think this line is fascinating. A 10-point favorite on the road at Stanford. Oregon came off of a 35-3 to win against Montana. Justin Herbert is just getting it done. I understand that like it hasn't been against great competition, but I would argue that Nevada runs a confusing defense. I liked what he did against Auburn. Actually, I take that back. It was against interesting teams. <laughs> I thought Auburn's clearly, like we mentioned, had a <laughs> really the number two yeah. defense in Bay Lake. Like That's an interesting team. Yeah, take that back. I take that back. Um, Herbert has really performed well. I guess what I'm more talking about montana here but still 30 for 42 316 yards five touchdowns zero picks i like the fact that we had a couple of wide receivers show up i mean you had johnny johnson eight receptions 76 yards two touchdowns jacob reeland tight end getting some getting some touchdown love basically everybody and their mother caught a reception here for oregon which was pretty exciting to see we saw troy die over 100 yards sean dollar that that freshman wide receiver that we really or i'm sorry that freshman running back that i was excited about one of the top uh players in the country ended up rushing for 69 yards nice um rob what do you think what do your numbers say here about oregon and stanford because 10 points that seems a lot like uh, on the road but stanford definitely got waxed and we'll get into that game as well 
So uh, the model really likes Oregon. Uh, you know, like I, I realize that a lot of folks are going to just remember the bad taste in their mouth from the uh, the Auburn game um, and then sort of write off the Nevada and the uh, Montana games. But this, these are things that Oregon, we talked about this a little bit before, like Oregon did not like like strut through non-conference last season. They sort of struggled a little bit against some of the bad teams they played. And Oregon, I mean, has really poured it on. Um, so they come in at number 13 uh, in the model right now. Stanford is at number 54. And the big difference here, I mean, is, you know, Oregon's uh, a, 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 comes at an offense at number nine, but they're number six throwing the ball around. Um, and, of course, like you went through Herbert's numbers, and he, he's doing that, you know, in an impressive fashion. I mean, I thought he was impressive in that Auburn game with yeah. the sort of shoestring wide receiver core. But the, the the big number that stands out for me in this, and we, Max, you and I have, and Brian, we've also talked about like Adebo being so fantastic. But the last two weeks, people have thrown right at him. And Stanford comes into this game with the number 102 ranked defense, an effective pass. I mean, they got torched against UCF in addition to what happened to them against USC it's they could be in trouble in this game with her if you know Herbert keeps slinging the ball around uh there's there's not a lot for them to hang their hat on and there's they still haven't figured out the offensive line Stanford comes in at number 88 running the ball um 34 throwing it but Oregon's defense under Avalos looks pretty good they're at number 16 you know 20 against the rush 18 against the pass you know there's not a lot there's and and the the model has this at uh, Oregon is a 14.6 point favorite. So mm. it's, it definitely doesn't, the model definitely does not like some of this, of course, Stanford's getting probably a little bit too much penalty. Like the model, you know, I don't have an injuries factored in. So Costello is not factored in there, but yeah, the, the, in this game, Stanford, if it weren't for the preseason projections, Stanford would probably be lower um, and Oregon would be higher. Um, at this point. Yeah, to that point, Max, you know, we have UCF just blew the doors off in the first quarter. They dropped 28 points on Stanford. And at the end of the day, to, to talk to what Rob was saying, uh, Stanford allowed 347 yards passing and 200 on the ground. Like they just, that defense has not been able to put it together. It seems like teams can throw the ball through the air. I understand UCF's offense is quite good. So that's going to be an offense. I think that's going to continue to rise in the numbers as we go along, but this is not the Stanford offense of old or even of a couple of years ago. This is Stanford, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's Stanford defense of older Stanford defense that even a couple of years ago. I'm just curious what you think is 10 still seems like a lot like on the but they but I don't know. Like, you know, they're Oregon's going on the road to the farm. But is the farm really a uh, a place where you can get a, a strong home field advantage? Uh, what do you think about this game? I mean, the national media is saying that the sky is falling for Stanford or is falling on Stanford. Um, after back-to-back blowouts to USC and UCF, but you know what? I'm gonna go the opposite way of this narrative, and I will be ta- and I go with the farm in this game. So, USC top five receiving core in the country. UCF they have incredible depth at their uh, at skill position, and they're able to rotate in and out. And then also that game, like 90 degree temperature, lots of humidity, like not not an ideal environment for a Pac-12 team to play in. And so I, I think not a big surprise, even though I, I mistakenly switched my pick to Stanford uh, on, on the Google Docs last week. But yeah, I, 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 after watching it, like I totally wasn't surprised that UCF was better conditioned and faster than Stanford. 
But now they go back to Palo Alto. The travel isn't great, but I I don't think that Oregon's receivers can really compare to UCF's and USC's. And so I actually think that Stanford's secondary is going to have an easier time defending the pass in this game, as good as Herbert is. Um, but Herbert away from Eugene in, in Pac-12 play has not been good. Uh, under um, or Oregon with, with Herbert under center, three and seven over the past three seasons in Pac-12 road games. Uh, it, it just seems like that he and Oregon, they're a much better team w- when they play in front of their home fans than they do on the road. Um, and then I, I, don't, I just feel like even though Stanford has been a major disappointment, David Shaw, I, I he, I mean, yes, he does. He does punt on the opposing side of the field too much, but I still trust him for game prep. I mean, Stanford had a lot of freshmen in in the UCF game. I, I just think it was a it was a really bad spot for them overall. But I don't. I, I think that Stanford keeps this game close, and and I really don't trust Oregon's coaching staff in big games. That that's another reason. Like Mario Cristobal. I, well, there might be a revenge angle. Um, last season, even though I, I don't really believe in revenge angles that often, but I mean, the way that Oregon imploded against Stanford last season, uh, at Austin was spectacular, but these are like the type of games that I have trouble trusting, like Marcus Arroyo's play calls or Mario Cristobal's end of game management and Shaw as conservative as he can be. He, he's, he's shown that he can win games, uh, in unideal circumstances before, uh, I still like Costello. Uh, Stanford's weapons, I don't think are so bad. Uh, Stanford's defense, even though I, I'm sure UCF, uh, slowed down the brakes a bit. I mean, they allowed under a hundred, they allowed like 125 yards and only seven points in the second half. So maybe that, maybe they feel a little more confident coming in and, and like their, their defensive coordinator, like, well, they're like, um, like he made some good adjustments. So I don't, I, I just think it's an overreaction. Uh, I would probably have this game at seven. Uh, anything above that, I, I'm on the farm. I just, how are they going to score points, Max? Like, I, I, I like Oregon's secondary. I think it's pretty good. Maybe it's the big tight ends. Where do you see them? Because they can't run the ball, and I really do like Oregon's run defense. I mean, I don't think that, like, Cam Scarlett has been that bad. And, um, I mean, their receivers, like Michael Wilson, uh, Connor Weddington's pretty explosive. Um, I, I'm just interested to see how Oregon does in, in like a true road atmosphere. And, and I have been impressed with Andy Avalos. I didn't think that, that transition from Jim Levitt to Avalos would go as smoothly and they do have a lot of talent, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I think of this as like a 24, 17 type of game. All right. I'm going to take Stanford and the points, 10 points at home is a lot. Um, what do you think, Rob? I'm taking the ducks here. I, I, I think that, uh, a lot of that, like I think Stanford this this season, like is going to continually live off reputation in a lot of ways. And like we we talked about this coming into the season, like this could be the year the wheels start to come off. And um, they've like they still haven't figured out how to run the ball. Their offensive line just stinks, um, you know. And that Northwestern game, like I mean, Northwestern maybe isn't that great. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm like, I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take Oregon here. Like if, if they go out and, you know, like, you know, 
screw it up like they you know they did last year uh you know like just giving the game away then uh so be it but also like oregon last year on the road they only really lost one game that they were supposed to win that they were actually favored to win you know like they, they mostly had like a lot of tough games away from Austin last season like washington state was really good last season like losing in the palooses is nothing to be ashamed of. Like Utah was pretty good last season. Like you, you'd probably expect, you know, to, to go to Salt Lake and lose. Like the only real inexplicable loss they had was that Arizona game. Okay. Yeah. And it, well, but, 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 but with the U, but with the Utah game, that was without Huntley and Moss. Well, I agree. I mean, but I like the, the, by that point, uh, last season, we knew Oregon was, was a bit more of a paper tiger than I think a lot of the win, like then the wins were sort yeah. of showing and um, Utah was really coming on strong. Like I, 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 I felt like that game, like I, I think I had the Utah over on that game. Correct. Uh, Cause it was, it, they just didn't look that strong coming in, but this season, like it's the flip, but it's like such a small sample size still. Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't bet on this game by the way. Um, and I, I think Oregon's going to win. I just think, <laughs> I think they're gonna have to scrap for it. Uh, give me Stanford plus 10. We have a couple more games to go over and we'll do that right after this. All right, we're back and just a fascinating matchup here. Colorado is a seven point mm-hmm. underdog on the road at Arizona state a- ASU coming off a big win. Now, not big in terms of points scored or an offensive explosion <laughs> explosiveness. Um, Arizona beats Michigan State on the road. They won 10 to 7. And again, that last drive, like 70 something yards, just really grinding against Michigan State's defense. I think, guys, this could be a very big letdown game uh, for, for a couple of reasons. The first is obviously a big win on the road against a Big Ten um, opponent and a really big defense that likely beat up a lot of these players. I just don't think Jaden Daniels. Um, I think he's fine. I thought he particularly that 15 yard rush that he had at like fourth and 13 when they they needed to to get those yards. He got them. But I just don't know if he's quite there yet. Eno Benjamin continues to struggle um, running the ball. Brandon IU clearly is a good, good player. I do think and I'm going to stick to this, that ASU's defense is better than advertised. I think that's a good unit. Um, it's not going to be one of the best units in the Pac-12, but it's certainly a unit that can keep ASU in games. Um, with that said, I think seven points is a lot, and I think that Colorado can move the ball. Uh, I'm not as big on Colorado's defense, but I'm not very big on ASU's offense. So I think that this is a game where where Colorado can stick with it, and if you're going to give me seven points, I'll take that. Um, but I'm curious what you think, Rob. What do the numbers say? So you are really right on ASU's defense because right now, if it weren't for the preseason projections, ASU would have like a top five defense. Um, they're at number 11 in beta rank right now. They're number 12 against the rush. They're number 10 against the pass. Um, they've, they've for the very, very, very small sample size. I don't know if they're able to sustain that. I, yeah, I expect yeah. that they finish out lower than that. Um, that said, like, uh, if they finish out in the thirties, like, that's an amazing jump for that defense in year two. I, I uh, you hit on some points here. Like Colorado's got a, a good offense. They're at number thirty-two. Uh, they are not good at running the ball. They're number seventy-three. Uh, they're they're they they come out grading at number seventeen throwing the ball. You know, and they're going to need to throw the ball against this ASU defense. I think to to be able to move it. I think what's interesting here is that. ASU comes in at number 78 on offense. You really hit that they can't run the ball. They're at number 91. Uh, Number 56 throwing the ball. 
Colorado's at 91 on defense. Um, they yeah. have a huge split, though. They're number 45 stopping the run. And so in some ways, like Air Force was almost an ideal matchup for them. They're at number 115 against the pass. That secondary is not very good right now. Uh, and they're not getting to as, as much pressure on the quarterback as they need to. And if you give a true freshman time and he's got the kind of weapons ASU has... You know, a, a, they should be able to get it. And, and Turk has just been phenomenal for ASU. Like he's he's the unsung hero of that game against Michigan State. Like keeping field position changing, uh, I think in a lot of ways. But the model, I mean, there's not much to say here. The model has this at at, at, at seven points. Uh, so at the moment, it's sort of a push versus Vegas. Yeah, Max. It's interesting when you take a look at. Colorado, like I, ugh. Rob had mentioned that the Air Force matchup was probably a good one in regards to their run defense, but and I understand that Air Force, like you know, basically runs triple option. So yeah, they should have more than two hundred yards against the Colorado defense. With that said, um, man, I just really thought Colorado was going to be able to at least put the kibosh on some of the way that Air Force was moving. I like the fact that Air Force opened up with a pass and they threw the ball 15 times to keep them on their toes. But how much do you trust Jaden Daniels to stick even with a a bad defense? I just, I don't quite, I'm not there yet. And I'd like this game to convince me of it. What do you think? Well, I thought Arizona State actually had an interesting offensive plan against Michigan State. Like they, they barely were running the ball, uh, especially early on. It was a lot of screens and short passes. Uh, just because they they knew that their offensive line could not block Michigan State's defensive line, and it, and I think the only strength of this Colorado defense, they're twentieth in sack rate, and Arizona State's offensive line is a hundred tenth in sack rate. So, I mean, I, I just Arizona State's offense like I, they did a good job scheming, um, so that way the offensive line wasn't as big of a detriment as it as it could have been against Michigan State. But, oh, it's it just, it, this game's tough for me because these are two teams that I, I, I think I'm going to be looking to fade quite often, especially Colorado. But I just, this spot, I, I, I have to go bust in the points here. Um, it's just, it, it's a kill because I think Colorado's really going to regress. I mean, they have the best turnover differential in the country. Their defense is brutal in, in almost every aspect. Uh, their, their running game, except I think now uh, Fontenot really exploded week one, but it, it seems like Jared Mangum uh, should be the, the starting running back going forward. He, he's looked, he's looked better than Fontenot over the past couple games. So maybe that he can provide a spark, but yeah, I, I mean, and I like ASU's defense a lot. The three, three, five is good. They have good linebackers. They have good corners. Um, Cromwell, Cromwell was injured, uh, late in the Michigan state game. If he doesn't play that, I think that that would actually be a pretty big factor against Colorado's aerial attack. But I don't know, like, like what, like what I was saying, um, last week with Cal, like Cal's going to be one of those teams where anytime they're a double digit underdog or double digit favorite, you, you kind of have to, um, back, uh, the underdog in that game just because their offense isn't good and their defense is really good. So, it's going to be a low scoring game and it's tough um, for a favorite to cover that big of a spread in such a low scoring game. And I, I might be feeling that way with Arizona state. At least that that's, that's one of the reasons why I took them against Michigan state against the spread last week. And while seven isn't double digits, I, I just, or seven and a half, wherever the line is now, I just think that that line's a little too high. Um, I think, well, Colorado is interesting first half versus second half splits uh, so far this season. 
And if Arizona State gets off to another fast start, um, I think I'll probably be looking at Colorado uh, second half. And especially, I mean, Arizona, Arizona State played in a lot of close games last year. And it seems like, at least with the Sac State and now Michigan State, it just seems like that, that, that they don't really they, – they, they can't, like, blow teams out, which is kind of weird to say. But it just seems like Herm Edwards, he, he plays to win the game. He doesn't go for style points. He just wants to win the game. So I, I'm a little weary backing Arizona as more than a touchdown favorite. So I'm just going to go with the Buffs here. But I, I really don't like either of these teams, to be honest. Yeah, and just taking another moment um, to – we had identified this game for weeks as like, oh, my goodness, Jaden Daniels will be running for his life. And he did. He got sacked four times. There were seven tackles for a loss. There were seven quarterback hurries. Like, he, he definitely had to, to work for it, and they were a- able to figure out a way to win the game. So, again, Michigan State's offense, probably not very good. But the fact that they were held to seven points, like – kudos to asu like that that was a good win for the conference so um and, and want to say that more about other teams in the pac-12 too so so um i thought that was interesting rob or, did you take colorado or did you take asu who are you taking no i'm i think i'm gonna end up taking colorado in this game just because as max said like herm edwards just he he tends to slow games down uh and and he he tends to to play a lot games a lot closer than necessary um even last year when he had a good offense Okay. All right. Moving on. UCLA, an 18 point underdog on the road oh, in no. the Palouse. I know. Holy goodness. Like, <laughs> uh, doesn't that come up? Oh, it, and it will. Yeah. I think that gets to 21, right? Like, that's got to pop. What do you think, Max? Do you think that movement goes fast? Uh, if it gets to 21, the straps are going to be all over UCLA 21. Yeah. So I, like, I think, I, I feel like 20, 20 and a half is where I guess that this line closes at. Okay. I don't think, I don't think it, I don't think it'll make 21. And again, Washington state coming off a, a big win on the road at Houston. And I thought they did such a good job blowing up screen passes and really getting in the face of Washington state. One of the things Rob, you had identified was the fact that uh, Derek King was going to run all over uh, Washington state. And he did like they, he definitely got his yards. He 94 yards rushing two t- touchdowns on the ground. He also threw for 128 yards. I with that said, I just thought that Washington state did a decent job containing an offense that could have been explosive. Like this could have been a game that we saw last year when Arizona played or two years ago, whatever it was when Arizona played Houston, where Houston's at home, that crowd's going nuts. They have the potential to score a ton of points and they did. That didn't happen in this game. Washington state did a decent job containing them. Uh, let's talk UCLA though. Ooh, buddy, 48, 14, Oklahoma just took, took it to UCLA. Um, for, for a little bit there, I thought, Oh, you know, they might hang and then they, they really didn't. DTR is just a mess. 15 for 26, 200 yards, two more interceptions. He had another fumble. I think he's up to like eight fumbles on the, the season or something. And I'm, I'm probably exaggerating by maybe one, but like he, he, that ball gets out of his hands quite often. UCLA just doesn't seem like has anything going for it right now. The defense is a mess. The offense is a mess. Uh, Joshua Kelly was in this game and he 18 carries for 51 yards. They just cannot find a way to run the ball. But, but, uh, 
I just think that Mike Leach has one of those, like he always has a stupid game in him where I, I think Washington State wins this game, but I just can see a scenario where UCLA gets at least within the 18. I'm going to wait for this line to pop up a little bit more, but I'll probably be on UCLA to not get totally housed and embarrassed for whatever reason on the Palouse. Um, but I'm curious, Rob, what your numbers say, because it probably points the exact opposite direction. No, so the beta rank has Washington State at number 19. UCLA is at 80. Um, they are, uh, without the without the projection model in there, they might be closer to Oregon State than Arizona and Colorado. Uh, so Washington State, number 16 on offense, unsurprisingly, number three, passing the ball, number 124, running the ball, although Max Borgie basically just takes a bunch of long hands-offs at this point. They are number 45 on defense, number 60 against the run, 38 against the pass. Uh, and they get to go against UCLA's. This is such a bad matchup for UCLA. So UCLA's defense comes in at number 71. Uh, they're number 27 against the run. They're number 110 against the pass. Oh. And they are uh, UCLA's offense is 68. They're they're not good at all. And, and, and I, something something is not working, I think, within the offensive line, because they've got even if beyond Joshua Kelly, like they've got a decent set of backs. They're they're number eighty four running the ball. They're number forty throwing the ball. Even though Robins Thomas Robinson hasn't been that great, like they've they've had to manufacture some yards even with the low completion percentage and you know everything going on. But the model only has this at thirteen point two as as a Washington State favor in this game. So it is a. Uh, it's one that I, I mean, you could I can definitely talk myself into Washington State just blowing this wide open with oh, yeah. that UCLA pass defense. And, and like I said, like a lot of this is still the projection models and Washington State is the worst recruiting team in the Pac-12 in the projection model. And UCLA is one of the best. So they would, you know, if you took out the projection model, this split would be wider and it might be closer to, to 20 points. But I don't know. It's this is this is kind of a this is a good line because like, it is it is high enough to tempt you. <laughs> um, it is high enough to tempt you up there, uh, even though just like on on paper, you know, like it, it maybe shouldn't quite be this high. What do you think, Max? 18? That's a, that's a lot. But you're right. I, th- I do think it pops up. But is that enough to to get you to get a taste? So I was trying to talk myself into UCLA against Oklahoma last week because I just <laughs> thought like, you know, that, that's an absurd amount of points. But the more I looked at it. The more I, I, I just I knew I couldn't do it in Oklahoma was going to roll them. It's kind of the same here with Washington State. As as much as I'm trying to find an argument for UCLA, but UCLA, they are the worst team in the country in yards per play, which is insane. They average 4.11 yards per play, and they're 130th. And Washington State is second at 8.81. And granted, the competition hasn't been great, but I'm not really sure that that UCLA defense will pose much of a threat. And then watch, watching the Washington State-Houston game, I, was, I came away impressed with Washington State just because um, Houston, even under Dana Holgerson, like, they really slowed it down. Like This was not an explosive game at all. There weren't a lot of possessions. I mean, Houston had one possession in the second quarter that took at least half the quarter. So it was a, it was a lower possession game. Washington State didn't have as many scoring opportunities, obviously, because they didn't have as many drives. Uh, and it was a seven-point game, but Houston scored late. Um, I really like the adjustments that Tracy Clays made in the second half um, to generate more pressure on Derek King. Um, but, I, I, I mean, people were expecting shootout, and I, I just think 
since Houston tried to slow down the game, that that was one reason why Washington State really couldn't break away. And Chip Kelly is not going to do that. He It's going to be a game with a lot of possessions. And if there is a team that is really exposed to throwing the ball in a high possession game against a team that can't really defend the pass, I feel like I have to go Washington State here as much as I, I want to take yeah. UCLA in one game and feel confident, but th- this just isn't the game. And then I also I also looked if Mike Leach and Chip Kelly ever faced off against each other, and they did once. It was back in 2012, so it was Kelly's last year at Oregon and Leach's first year at Washington State. And Oregon actually gave Washington State one of their worst home losses under Leach. It was uh, 51-26 in Pullman. And Kenyon Barner, the Oregon star running back back in the day, he actually scored on an 80-yard run with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter to make it 51-19. So I just thought that was interesting that Kelly didn't really pull the starters that early. So maybe there's some, like... Oh, oh, and you you know Leach remembers that. Like, there's no way Leach hasn't remembered that. Yeah, so I normally wouldn't bring that up about, like, most coaches, but Leach is definitely the type of coach that, that could remember something like that. And maybe just like he wants to prove that like he's like the sharper offensive mind. And, and I mean, well, Kelly's uh, UCLA's yard per play, I mean, it kind of shows that Kelly isn't what he used to be. But I, I feel like that this is kind of like Leach has been like chomping at the bit for, for, to face off against Chip Kelly because they didn't play last year. Um, so I, I feel like this, this could be a statement game for Mike Leach and, and they could run it up. Here's here's one two more two more things to throw out to you though Max. So Washington State comes off of a pretty big win, like non conference. I know it's Houston, but they went on the road to a tough place and they won. They come back. They have Utah next week, and they have this lowly, stupid mm. UCLA team that like everybody mm. knows they're going to to step on. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I, I just have seen this movie so many times with Mike Leach, where he has one of those confounding games. Where you go, how on earth? And I don't think UCLA wins at all, but I do think it, it, I just think for whatever reason, this might be that one game. So I'll still be on, I'll still be on UCLA, but I'm not going to bet this unless it pops up a little bit more. So I'm going to keep my eye on it, but I'll, I'll pick it for the, yeah. the podcast. So, that do anything for, for me, you? Like I, Oh, I was going to say like, for me, I would have, I would, I'd be willing to take UCLA against the team that like, isn't like a well-coached dumb team. So basically USC is like the team that I would feel <laughs> comfortable backing UCLA as a heavy underdog. Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, two more games here. We have, uh, that just is a fascinating game. Cal is a two point favorite on the road at Ole Miss. Cal won. Wow, their- that line jumped. Oh, what, what did it start at? Pick them. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, it's not like Rich Rodriguez and uh, what's his face over at Colorado. Don't haven't uh, played Mike, Cal's Mike offense. Mike McIntyre. <laughs> or... um, Cal came off a win against North Texas, a little closer than than I think Cal would have liked it. Uh, Cal twenty three, North Texas fourteen. Chase Garbers just does not get it done through the air. Nine to twenty two, hundred twenty nine yards total through the air and a touchdown. Although he did kind of torch North Texas, he ran for eighteen uh, eighteen times or seventy nine yards on the ground. He was able to keep them off balance with his legs, but just offensively, man, Cal just does not does not have it at all. I'm curious to see what they how they match up against Ole Miss. Um, a couple things to mention though. First, I mean, Cal scored 20 points in their first quarter and then did not score a touchdown after that. So they they ended up with three more points uh, throughout the entire game. So offensive explosion in the beginning, and then after that, not too much. Uh, North Texas had a chance actually to get it close. So they had a two minute drill that they weren't able to take care of business. Um, 
but the the defense still uh, i thought for the most part held north texas in check north texas 210 yards passing 119 rushing um you obviously like to see those numbers a little bit lower but cal's defense continues to get it done rob i have been looking at ole miss but it is really tough to get a handle on the you know new offensive coordinator new defensive coordinator i'm not an sec expert what do your numbers say uh, this could be the cheese it bowl all over again. Ooh. So <laughs> this is Cal comes in at 32. Ole Miss comes in at 27. So beta rank also has this as a very, very close game. Um, the offense for Cal comes in at 82. Uh, Ole Miss comes in at 39. Hmm. The, the Cal rushed, uh, the Cal rushing offense is at 35 passing offense is at 118. Yikes. And unsurprisingly, for a Rich Rod coach team, uh, Ole Miss is running the ball effectively. They're at number 24 running the ball, number 63 throwing the ball. But here's where it gets a little uh, cheese at bull ass. Cal comes in at number 10 on defense, number 18 against the run, number three against the pass. Ole Miss comes in at number 14 on defense, number eight against the run, number 26 against the pass. Um, and I looked because another component of this game and a game this tight with this kind of defense is special teams. Um, and Cal is currently grading out at number 57 uh, and Mississippi is up at number 95. So this is uh, and oh, and the model has Ole Miss as just a very, very slight favorite. They have a uh, they have a 52 percent win probability, which ain't much. Um, and they're just under a one and a half point uh, favorite in the game. So this is a, this is a, this is a very tough game to pick. Yeah. Ole Miss lost at Memphis 15 to 10. They beat a bad Arkansas team 31, 17, and then they beat some Southeastern Louisiana tech poly, whatever, (laughs) some crappy team. Um, They scored 45 points in that game. You know, Max, I'm curious about what um, I'm wondering. I'm wondering what the under is the over under. Do you have that total? Yeah, forty three and a half. Oof. What do you, do you think? That there's some value there, or what do you think? Mm, I mean, Ole, I mean, Ole, their their offense. They've been like really up and down. Like I can't believe that they only scored ten points against Memphis to open the season. That that was wild to me. Um, just, I mean, I, I took a look um, at how they played against us, uh, Southeast Louisiana or, or whatever that that team is. Um, <laughs> So what was interesting is that their offensive line didn't really fare that well. Um, Southeastern Louisiana, they had three sacks and 11 tackles for loss uh, this past week. And then also their secondary. So Southeastern Louisiana had 29 completions. 14 of them went for 10 yards or more. And that's not really the, those are like two key areas that you don't want to like show like a weakness against an FCS school. Um, But Ooh, that 12 o'clock kickoff time. That's, that's really oh, a killer for Cal. Yeah. So that's definitely one angle that I think that you should uh, keep an eye out for. But I guess one reason why I just, defense travels better than offense does. Um, and I, I love this Cal defense. Um, I feel like the turning point in the North Texas game, uh, they're running back Christopher Brown. Uh, he got injured and, and he, I don't think he played the entire second half. And Cal's offense just like really regressed after that. Like, like he is he is the focal point of that offense. And, and if he gets going, I think Cal's offense can at least move it. But Chase Garber's really struggled without Brown, and so did the Cal run game. Uh, I think like the left side of their offensive line was hurt. 
Um, they, and they had a couple other guys that were injured in the game. And so you saw a lot of second and third string guys and it got close, but I feel like they kind of like took it easy, um, when they were up 20, nothing just to, you know, move on to like, (laughs) we did it. Um, We scored 20 points, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't know. I just, there's, I don't really trust this Ole Miss team, but mm, this is, this is a really tough game. This is a do not um, bet on this game, by the way. Like, I, know, I, like, I just <laughs> I, like I haven't really been impressed with a lot of the well, the top half of the SEC has been great. Like uh, Georgia, LSU, Bama, like they've been good. But the bottom half in the middle tier, of the SEC has been pretty whatever in non-conference play. And I don't know. I, like this is good, guess, though, because last year they everybody in the sec just ruled non-conference play and it screwed up everyone's models last year. <laughs> so we need the sec like, to sort of come back to earth. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I really wish this was a later start time. The, the noon kickoff is a killer. Um, I'll take, I'll take Cal, but I'm going to have to read more into this game. Ugh. Rob, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to do with this game, man. Like I, you want to, you want I mean, taking, I just, I, here's what I hope on this game. I hope that everyone remembers Ole Miss losing to uh, Arkansas or losing to Memphis and remembers Cal beating Washington and the lion creeps up because that's about the only place you're going to get much value on this game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. If, if it's like, you can't take, you can't take Cal North of three. Like there, there's no way there, there's no value in that. Like two, it's, it's like, like, uh, two, I'm, I'm even tempted to go Ole Miss, but I'll, I'll go with Cal as long as it's under three. What's that Ole Miss defense again? Where are those ratings, Rob? So, I mean, it's interesting because you remember Ole Miss, Ole Miss had a very good offense last season. And so some of their rating this in, in this season is is being held up by how good they were last season. So, like, this offense would be a little worse. No, um, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But what's the, what's the defense? Yeah. I think I think the Cal's, defense is, the yeah. defense is number 14. Oh, my gosh. Um, and they're better against the run. They're number eight against the run, uh, which has been Cal's bread and butter. I mean, you you might need Chase Garbers to come out and win the game. I mean, Memphis, who has a very good offense, and I believe Brady White's still the quarterback, like they struggled against this Ole Miss defense. Uh, I'll take Ole Miss. If you're gonna give me points on the on the road, uh, I'm sorry, points at home, you know, in a toss up game, I'll just I'll just take them. Uh give me Ole Miss. Okay. Um Two more games. We're just going to breeze through. So Oregon State beat Cal Poly 45 to 7, saving everybody in the Eliminator pool. So thank you, Oregon State. That was an easy checkoff. Um, by the way, there's like a couple of people that went super contrary. They're like, I'm taking Washington just in case Oregon State loses. That was pretty smart, but uh, they didn't. So uh, everybody moves on. And then let's talk Texas Tech here. Texas Tech 14, Arizona 28. And Rob, you and I watch a lot of Arizona football. And there was not one inkling um, to show that Arizona's defense would be as aggressive and well coached. And like, uh, I just thought they did a really good job against Texas Tech. My, my big asterisk is I thought the play calling for Texas Tech was on the offensive side was terrible. It, it actually reminded me of Arizona screen pass, screen pass, run up the middle, long pass. There's like not a lot of stuff in between. Alan Bowman certainly had a terrible game. I think he had two or three picks. I have to go back and look at ex- the exact stats. And I want to give one more shot. Like, like a lot of people tease Rod Gilmore for um, for just being super, super conservative. And he was. I think he actually heard that criticism. He's dialed it back a little bit. You know, like a team would go for two when they needed to be like, ooh, 
That seems kind of risky to me, Bob. Like, Rod, they got to win the game. Like, they can't, they can't just kick a field goal or an extra point. He's, he's like, he's like, he's like, I agree with Pat Narduzzi kicking a field goal from the one. <laughs> you know, you know who I love in terms of play calling? David Shaw. That guy just keeps it under. You know, like that's kind of Rod Gilmore. With all that said, that guy knows his football. He does his research on the teams that he is announcing, and and he's been able to point out a lot of cool stuff. Like right right after the play happens, he immediately is on why that happened. So good, good for you, Rod Gilmore. I thought he, he called a really good game and he calls a lot of the late games. So it's, it's fun to listen to him. Um, with all that said, big win for Arizona, right? Texas tech comes into town. I think people were pretty um, down in Arizona's defense. They held them to 14 points and Rob, um, I'm sure you watched this game. What were your impressions? Arizona's off by the way. So this is just more of kind of like a commentary. Yeah, I was, imp- I mean, I was impressed. I mean, nobody, I mean, I like to say nobody, nobody has been more critical for longer of Marcel Yates than I have. But he he mostly he called a good game, and I think one of the the keys here is that Arizona had been in a, a four two five, and then and they'd been in a four two five last year. Um, the two JUCO defensive tackles really were not working out, um, and so they they swapped them out. Um, they went to a, a three three five, put Anthony Pandy, who'd been sort of a co starter with Tony Fields, um, uh, into the game as well, and then uh, Barr, who was who was a late true freshman addition got some time at nose tackle and certainly played better than the two defensive tackles from uh, the Juco ranks had up to this point. So that certainly helped. I, I don't think that uh, I, I mean, small sample size, let's see how Arizona's defense sort of buckles down. If they make the leap that sort of people were projecting, like Arizona's suddenly somewhat interesting in a South that looks like a mess, frankly. So yeah, they, I mean, they can run the ball. Gary Brightwell, 12 for 85 with two touchdowns. They have Bam Smith, JJ Taylor. I think he's injured. He had 11 for 39 in the game. Yeah. And, and definitely didn't. I, I must've missed that one portion of it. Um, so he, yeah, he definitely didn't look like he was hundred percent. Um, Tate, about 50% completion rate. Like he did not have a great game. Everybody's going to focus no. on that 84 yard touchdown run that he had. And who buddy, like I, I understand why, because <laughs> it was like, ah, I remember you from three Bill years Mazzoni ago. Mazzoni called up the QB counter tray. Like, uh, I mean the old, uh, you know, people have bagged on Noel Mazzoni for years saying he never adds anything to his offense. Like QB power is something like a lot of people have been adding because Oklahoma runs it just a brilliant play call i mean and, and tate went tate went yard with that it was awesome yeah like right when he was gone like nope nope nobody's catching him that's that's seven right there um so not great through the air two interceptions Al, alan bowman again had it was just like interception after you get an interception you get an interception just some really boneheaded plays by both quarterbacks but at the end of the day arizona puts up enough points to win and they move on max does does that do anything for you arizona beating texas tech by you know two touchdowns at home um, I mean, at least they showed defensive adjustments. I'm still confused. How did they go 15 of 21 on third down and only, and only score 28 points? Like that's just, that's mind boggling to me. Uh, Rob, I would assume Rob, it was two really bad percentage. Yeah. And bad interceptions. Like I think that yeah, was also killing bad, yeah, But, um, but on the counter to that though, Max, one of the big knocks on Arizona's defense was their inability to stop the opposing team on third down. And the defense really clamped out. I got to go look back at the stats, but they really stopped Texas Tech from moving the ball on third down. And that was unexpected. <laughs> Sorry, Rob, I cut you off. No, no, you're right. I mean, like them being able to clamp down on third down and um, they actually mostly 
mostly took advantage of, uh, of being able to keep Texas Tech and, and get Texas Tech started out on their side of the field, which is something they did not do when the you know Arizona's offense put up some points in that Hawaii game. And so they had good field position as a defense to start out with, and they didn't take advantage of it there. Like They mostly used the field position to their advantage to eventually get off the field in this game. Nice. Okay. Max, your stuff is great on Sports Illustrated Gambling. You've been pushing out a lot of really good stuff. Where can people find that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, at, at the Max Meyer, uh, M E Y E R. Um, or you can go to SI.com slash gambling to see all of my, um, gambling content. We have NFL, we have college football. I do a best bets column, uh, every week, and that is off to a 12 and five start. And then also, uh, me and the rest of sports Illustrated's college football staff, uh, we pick um, against the spread for every major college football game each week. Uh, I, I think it's we do 12 games a week against the spread. And my picks are 22-12-2 so far. So it's been a nice start to this college football season. Just hope to keep it up. Right on. Rob, what do you got going to Sharp College Football? Everything. I mean, I just <laughs> all, the, all the charts and graphs and tables you could want. Um Everything's updated. Uh, it's going to be updated. I actually, and the other thing is if you follow sharp college football on Twitter, um, like I've, I've built some pretty handy bots that'll be pushing out a lot of the data. So you get to see some of it there, um, which is pretty cool. But I mean, it, you want to see how your program's doing over time um, this year, you know, you know, take a look at where beta rank has the spreads and the win probabilities. Like it, it, it's all there. And uh, I'm pretty good at answering questions if you have any. All right, on. Follow us at 12 Pack Radio. A big shout out to our friends to so the Free Ballin Podcast, the Utah Man Podcast, the Quack 12 Podcast. Um, whom I whom I missing the the Bruin Report on the Dog Pod, like the first one, the, the originators. They, they used to have this podcast feed, basically. Um, our friends of the Dog Pod, really good stuff. Uh, definitely check them out. Uh, we're we're it's always been fun to work with them, and they're cranking out good content that we use for this podcast as well. So uh, definitely dig them. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be up next to. Oh, by the way, we're going to do another director's cut with Hithliday. I thought that went pretty well, and th- this one will be the Mountain School. So if you're a Colorado or Utah fan, um, we talked with Hithliday for about thirty minutes just on each team before the season started and we'll do a little director's cut after that so keep a lookout for that thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next week